Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in. In just a moment, we'll be joined by a very special guest, the author of a new book on Hank Greenberg, his home run battle with Babe Ruth's home run record, and the tensions percolating prior to World War II. And while you're settling in, be sure to visit our website, benebrith.org, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. Joining me today is author Ron Kaplan. Ron is the author of the new book, Hank Greenberg in 1938, Hatred and Home Runs in the Shadow of War. Ron is also the former sports and features editor for the New Jersey Jewish News, where he created Kaplan's Corner, a blog about Jews and sports. And he also is a contributor to Jewish Baseball News. Ron, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Dan. In the interest of uh, full disclosure, before we uh, begin our conversation with Ron Kaplan, we want to uh, welcome also to the program uh, a Senegal parrot, uh, which uh, some may hear in the background as uh, Ron is speaking from his home on this broadcast. We welcome both of them. I think before we talk about the book, which really is uh, it's an excellent book and, and brings new information to the, the story of, of Hank Greenberg and then, of course, writ large about baseball in 1938 and the world in 1938. But I'd like to, to start really with a discussion about baseball and, and the Jewish community. Um, there's been a love affair between the two uh, really for a long time. And uh, as kind of a, a backdrop to our discussion about your book, I'd be curious uh, to have your thoughts on why that has been, why this, this tremendous Jewish affection for, for baseball. Well, baseball is the American sport, and when Jews came to the United States in the early 1900s, one of the things they wanted to do is become American. How do you become American? You do things that Americans do, and baseball was one of those things. Uh, in uh, uh, an edition of the Forward in 1903, there was an editorial about how parents should let Jews play ball. Uh, there was a uh, Supposedly, a letter to the editor sent in asking, should I let my son, of course, there was only sons at the time, should I let my son play ball? It's a wild American sport. He might get hurt. And the editor of the forward at the time said, absolutely, let them play. This is how they become American. It toughens them up. It's good for the mind as well as the body. It keeps the kids occupied. And uh, ever since then, uh, more and more Jews have become enmeshed in the uh, national pastime. Now, how does that uh, uh, act as a, a portal into the Hank Greenberg story? Because Greenberg uh, comes along, he's from the Bronx, uh, he comes from a, a Jewish family, an observant Jewish family in the Bronx, goes to James Monroe High School. Uh, Jews were, were playing, I know, in basketball at, at that particular point in time. Jews were, were almost prominent, I guess you could say, in, in basketball, in the city game, as it's called. Uh, what about baseball? Were they playing baseball as well? They were, but of course, uh, in the uh, tenement sections of New York and the Lower East Side and in other urban areas where Jews congregated, uh, there's not a whole lot of space for baseball. Uh, you go to the Jewish Community Center uh, where you can play basketball in a much smaller setting. So that's uh, where a lot of Jews got their sports educations, playing basketball. Also, if you think about it, boxing, which is even in a more confined area. But these, these were indoor sports, and, and that's how uh, the Jews were able to play all year round. Uh, 
people like Greenberg. Greenberg was actually born in Greenwich Village, which was not the uh, hipster area it is today. Uh, his father was a textile merchant who was fairly well-to-do, so he was able to move his family out of Greenwich Village and into a better situation in the Bronx, where he was across the street from a, a lovely park, where he became a star in, in all sports, basketball, soccer. Soccer was his number one sport, actually, and, and baseball. So uh, his parents were from Romania. As you said, they were observant Jews. They had four children, three boys and a girl. And uh, Greenberg used to joke that he was the most unsuccessful of the lot. One was a teacher. One was in another higher uh, echelon profession. And he was just an athlete because even though Jews were becoming more involved in sports, it was still considered something of a shanda, uh, uh, an embarrassment for these uh, kids to be involved in a sport. Parents wanted their kids to go to school to become better educated and move into the professions like teaching, uh, even lawyering and uh, doctoring. So you, you write about the, uh, the challenge here that the, the family had and that Hank Greenberg had. He's uh, in his senior year in high school. He's uh, hitting home runs at James Monroe High School. And uh, the choice had to be made here between baseball and then going on to, to college and to a profession. So you write about that in the book, um, but it seems that uh, that, that decision uh, didn't take very long to make. No, I mean, he was obviously, he was, by the time he was 13, he was almost fully grown, uh, which he found something of an embarrassment, uh, standing head and shoulders above most of his classmates. And uh, he knew that the uh, academic life was not for him even though he did attend NYU for a short amount of time. Uh, he signed a contract when he was 19. His father had arranged uh, a tryout, supposedly, with the New York Giants, which were uh, playing in the uh, upper Manhattan area across the river, the Harlem River from uh, the New York Yankees. But uh, the manager at the time, uh, John McGraw, didn't think that Greenberg had what it took. He thought he was too awkward and too slow, so he didn't even give him a tryout. Uh, Greenberg was also scouted by the same man who signed Lou Gehrig. Uh, they wanted to sign Greenberg as well, and they brought him out to Yankee Stadium where he saw Gehrig playing, and he just knew that there was no way he would be able to play for the Yankees for years to come, and he didn't want to spend his uh, life in the minors just waiting for the opportunity. But the Tigers recognized something that uh, McGraw didn't recognize. The Tigers signed him, which I always found fascinating, because at the time, Detroit, which was one of the larger uh, populated uh, metropolitan areas in the country because of the auto industry, it was one of the most, if not the most, anti-Semitic city in the country. You had Henry Ford, who was a notorious anti-Semite. He was editor of the Dearborn Independent, which had basically blamed Jews for the 1919 Black Sox scandal, Jewish gamblers for ruining the game. And it was also the uh, the location of Father Charles Coughlin, who was, again, to use the word notorious, uh, radio broadcaster, the predecessor of uh, predecessor of today's conservative all-talk radio. And he was uh, a rabid anti-Semite as well. So I, I find it almost funny isn't the right word, but it's just odd that Greenberg would would pick this. But as, as you say, they saw something in him and they probably offered him the quickest uh, route to the majors. Uh, and Walter Briggs, the owner of the Tigers, uh, was instrumental in this decision? Yeah, I mean, he wanted, there, there are a lot of owners who wanted 
uh, a Jewish player. McGraw wanted a Jewish player, which is why it was kind of surprising he wouldn't give him a chance, because it would bring Jewish fans to the ballpark. Uh, and uh, the, the, the Tigers at the time were uh, a fairly good team. They became much better when Greenberg signed, so obviously Briggs made the right decision. In the, in the newspapers at the time in Detroit, um, uh, was there any, uh, uh, were there statements or comments uh, from the sports writers or others about uh, Greenberg being Jewish? You have to remember, in, in, in those days, there's a much different time as far as sports writing and reporting in, in general go. Uh, there was no television. There was very little radio. So everything was left to the written word. And in an effort to be as descriptive as possible, writers would use language that we would probably find politically incorrect these days. Uh, even, even the use of the nickname the Hebrew Hammer, you know, describes Greenberg aptly, but some might find offense with it. And they, they do make some uh, pidgin English. There, there are some uh, columnists who used uh, fake conversations between two foreign fans. And, and the, the way the language was written out in dialect was somewhat offensive to today's sensibilities. But uh, yeah, they, they, they would mention it from time to time, just as they would mention uh, Native American players were constantly called chief uh, African-Americans were, were called Ebony this or Black that. Uh, 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 Lewis, the, the boxer the, who uh, was so prominent during Greenberg's uh, time, was uh, the Brown Bomber. So, yeah, there, were, there was a lot of, uh, of liberties with the descriptions of uh, players' ethnicities and religions. But uh, Greenberg was embraced by the fans, and uh, it became clear that uh, they had a real star in their midst. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, he struggled very early in his first year. He appeared as a September call-up in his first year and went back to the minors for the next couple of years. But when he came back, he started hitting home runs and driving in runs at, uh, if not a record-setting pace, certainly an astounding uh, rate. And uh, yes, the fans took to him, his teammates took to him, as they would anyone who uh, would help them win and uh, win at pennants, finish in first place, go on to the World Series. You know, you do well and then they'll love you no matter what. So 1938, uh, Hitler has been in power uh, five years, uh, building up uh, his war machine, um, moving uh, toward the final solution. Um, we're not yet in the war. Of course, that comes uh, three years later. But clearly, uh, the storm clouds are, are out there. Uh, and, of course, uh, you have the famous uh, Chamberlain Peace in Our Time uh, comment, which kind of sums up uh, had the misreading uh, that um, the Europeans and others uh, had of, of Nazi intentions. But that's the year that Hank Greenberg chases Babe Ruth's record. Right. He started off fairly slowly. By the time uh, he reached the All-Star break, he probably had uh, in the mid-20s uh, as far as home runs go. The Tigers were not doing well as a team after having done well in uh, previous years. Uh, so there wasn't a whole lot to write about. Uh, even at that point with 20 home runs by uh, mid-season, it didn't garner a lot of attention. Uh, after the All-Star break, uh, he started hitting them at a, a higher pace and people began to take notice and it wasn't long before they said hey you know like we can start comparing him to babe ruth and and that's the way the papers went especially 
in August and, and September as he came closer and closer. They would put little, I don't know what you call them, little items, uh, little graphics. Uh, if you can think of uh, what USA Today used to do, uh, infographics uh, of comparisons between Ruth and Garrett to see where they stood on that particular day as a game-by-game -game comparison. And it started getting more and more of a pickup, not only in Detroit, of course, but around the country and even stretching into Canada. Uh, now, you really cover it day-by-day, uh, game-by-game. Uh, when, at, at what point in the season did this look as if this was uh, going to be um, a, a real serious challenge to the record? Well, certainly by the beginning of September. Uh, in fact, some of the sports writers, uh, if, if you're baseball listening fans might recall, when Roger Maris was challenging uh, the record, uh, there were a lot of complaints by sports writers that, well, Maris has these extra, in, in Ruth's time, the season was 154 games, but because of expansion, the, the games became 162 games. So he had those extra games, so it's not fair. And if he really wants to have the record, he has to do it in the same amount of games that Ruth had in, in his record-setting season, which was actually he missed three games. He played in 151 games. So even in Greenberg's time, they were complaining, well, Greenberg had these extra games in which to accomplish these home runs, so that's not a really fair comparison. Greenberg himself often said, no matter what I do, and he even wrote an article about it for Collier's Magazine the following year, uh, even if I set the record, if I had set the record, if I set the record in the future, there's only one Babe Ruth. He, he, he knew he would never be uh, a Babe Ruth for, for future fans. But the record, the Ruth record was set in 1927. So this, uh -huh. is, this is only 11 years later. Um, it's true, and you point out in the book that uh, hitting uh, more than 50 home runs was a, even in, those, in the 11 years, was a uh, uh, stupendous feat, and that I think you mentioned only four uh, players uh, had, uh, had done that, and he was playing at the same time as Jimmy Fox of the Red Sox, so there was some right. kind of rivalry, I suppose, and competition there. But uh, when, I, when I think about the, the issue of Hank Aaron later on, um, you know, so many years had separated Ruth from Aaron. There were other issues, of course, at play. Uh, but 11 years doesn't seem to really be a long enough time. I mean, Ruth was still living. Uh, he'd been retired from, from uh, baseball as a player for just a few years. But was there already there that, that kind of um, deification of Ruth uh, or uh, as an iconic figure that, that was in play when uh, they talked about Greenberg uh, possibly breaking the record? Ruth had been basically deified as soon as he came on the scene. Uh, he was credited with saving baseball in the aftermath of that 1919 Black Sox scandal where the uh, eight members of the Chicago White Sox allegedly, it was never proven in court, so you, you always have to say allegedly, conspired to throw the World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. They were a far superior team, and yet they ended up losing. So uh, here comes Ruth, this, this young, brash, uh, Paul Bunyan-esque type of uh, player who's hitting home runs even as a pitcher. Because remember, he started out as a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. So even as a pitcher, he was hitting more home runs than some of the regular position players. And with his outsized personality, uh, he was credited with saving baseball in, in, the, in those dark days. So by the time he hit those 60 home runs, which was more than several teams combined that he hit more t home runs himself. Uh, he, he was he was deified, and and no one 
uh, not Fox, not uh, not Mel Ott, not anyone you can think of, certainly not Greenberg, could could hold a candle to him because of that outsized personality. In the book, uh, you talk about uh, the, uh, the controversy, which I think still rages today, about whether or not uh, pitchers were pitching around him. He got a lot of walks that season. Um, the folks who were trying to impede uh, his march toward uh, this this record. Um, and you, you give the pros and cons. Uh, where do you come down on it? I, I come down on, on the con side. I, I don't think... Uh, looking at the numbers, there, there's an appendix in the book where I, I take uh, the pitchers he faced in September, uh, and I look at the walks he received, and I compared the walks by these pitchers during what they did over the course of the season. Now, remember, this is September. They, they call up fresh pitchers, rookie pitchers who may be intimidated. They may be a bit wild. Uh, and you have the veteran pitchers who, by that point, uh, starting pitchers in those days regularly through. 250, 275 innings, so they could be tired. Uh, so that could explain some of the, the wildness. And, and I, I found in almost every case that the numbers uh, for Greenberg matched favorably, if that's the right word, with what the pitchers did for everybody else over the course of the season. So I know there, there are conspiracy theorists who love to go and look at these things. And, and it's a question of analysis. And once you start getting into math, I'm, I'm in over my head. So uh, that, that's always a sore spot with me. But uh, I really don't think there. And, and Greenberg himself, over the course of his uh, career, uh, afterwards in his memoirs, he said that it was, it was his, he was tired too. Uh, he played, actually played in 155 games that year because the Tigers had one game that ended in a tie. So he actually played one more game than almost everybody else. And he played in every inning of every game except for two innings. He'd been hit by a pitch late in the game and came out. X-rays proved negative, so he was back in the lineup the next day. So he was he was a sort of iron horse for the Detroit Tigers. In fact, if I could just refer back to the year, he sat out uh, a very crucial game in the midst of a pennant race because of his young kipper. Uh, he broke up a, a consecutive game streak by all the Detroit infielders. So that, that's what ended that streak. And I, I don't know how people felt about that. But, uh, you know, uh, overall, I, I don't think that, uh, that there was a, a conspiracy. Managers probably did not say, you know, walk this guy all the time because we don't want him. I don't think there was any conscious decision involved. So he comes up short. Uh, how short uh, was, was that uh... – um, that that uh, barrier uh, to cross for him. Uh, well, uh, he home run hitters are very streaky. You can go uh, hit like five home runs over a course of three games, and his longest streak without a home run, I think, it was eleven or twelve games. Uh, one of the problems he faced in the uh, last month of the season, September, late September, beginning of October was that games that had been rained out earlier in the season had to be made up as part of doubleheaders. And many of those doubleheaders seemed to fall into the uh, last month or so of the season. And once you get into the second game of the doubleheader, remember, this is a time when, except for one stadium, Crosley Field, home of the Cincinnati Reds, no field had lights. So as the afternoon progressed in the early evening and twilight comes in, umpires had to call games. And he probably missed a good 
five to seven games because uh, they were called by darkness and that cut into his opportunities at, at bats. There's another section of the book where I uh, consulted with uh, someone at the Hall of Fame who, who looked at the box scores and uh, supposition that had the game gone to its uh, natural conclusion, Greenberg might have had X amount of at-bats. And, you know, who knows what he would have done with those extra at-bats. You know, maybe he might have hit the three home runs he needed to uh, break the record. Maybe he wouldn't have. Uh, who knows how many foul balls he hit were very close to being home runs. There's, there's no Nowadays, they probably keep track of all those things, but in those days, they certainly didn't. Well, he, uh, he handled all of this, uh, as you write, with a great deal of, of humility. Uh, and mm-hmm. he, he seemed, uh, in, his, in his comments about, about the, uh, the race to, uh, to overtake uh, Babe Ruth, and also in his comments uh, about uh, being Jewish uh, and being a, a hero to, to so many Jews, uh, he, he really handled himself uh, really with a great deal, uh, I believe, of, of humility and class, would you say? Class is, is an excellent word uh, to use, and uh, I'll, I'll just refer to something that happened after he left the Tigers uh, very ignominiously. They just released him after all his work and, and his the time he lost to serving in World War II. He lost three full seasons and parts of two other seasons. In his final year, he played for the Pittsburgh Pirates, where he had occasion to be in a game versus Jackie Robinson, who was in his rookie season for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, long story short, there was a collision at first base between the two of them. Uh, fans were wondering if this would lead to some sort of altercation. It didn't. And in fact, at a, a later at-bat, when both men were at first play, base, Greenberg was playing first at the time, uh, they had a conversation in which Greenberg encouraged Robinson. He said, don't listen to these yahoos. You're going to do great. I can tell. You're going to be good. Just hang in there. And after the game, uh, Robinson used that word class. He said, uh, Mr. Greenberg uh, has a lot of class. It's written all over him. He was very appreciative for the support. Well, you know, having uh, uh, clearly all of us missed this one in 1938, but watching uh, Hank Aaron's um, uh, march uh, to break the record and all the difficulties that he faced in terms of the barriers of race and 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 um, uh, the views of, of of some in this country who didn't want him to to do it. I mean, I think of uh, how he handled um, that season and how Greenberg handled this season, and uh, really, I think uh, both uh, did uh, baseball uh, really well uh, by uh, the way they approached. Uh, very, very tense, I'm sure, and very challenging uh, times for, for them. Um, Ron, I, we've kind of run out of time, and we'll have to uh, have you back because uh, there's so much more uh, about baseball and about sports uh, that we can talk about, so I, I hope you'll, you'll do that. But I, I want to say again, really, um, how important uh, your book is, uh, Hank Greenberg in 1938, Hatred and Home Runs in the Shadow of War, uh, there's a lot in here also about American culture at the time, uh, events that were going on in Europe, which we uh, talked about earlier in the, in the program, as well as this, this very exciting uh, day-by-day baseball season uh, in 1938. So uh, we uh, very much appreciate your joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks again for joining us for the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. 
Please visit our website, benebreth.org, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about it. For Ron Kaplan, I'm Dan Mariashit. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. <laughs>